Yeah, did people just not have the tools to beat Lotus Field? Yeah, well, the match I lost was due to Alpine Moons, mm -hmm. which even then I got the, the moral high ground by <laughs> on the last turn before I knew I was dead, I drew my card, then immediately, really quickly, just like hidden strings, tapped his two lands. Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and then you scooped. Yeah, I scooped. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 241 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. I guess I, I don't know, maybe for these I'm supposed to say like the spikiest podcast in all of New Capenna, but I didn't, so it's it, too late. The abbreviation's the same. It's still NC. Ooh, that's true. Yeah. The similarities kind of end there, I think. Yeah, not too many, like, devils or demons running around the streets here. No. I mean, our, like... Only metaphorical ones. <laughs> our government is definitely, you know, as riddled with corruption, though, for whatever that's worth, so... I don't know. There seem to be literal angels in some of these, so... So they're doing better than us, is they, what you're they saying? They are doing a little better than us. Yeah, they're probably right. So, I don't know. Do, do, do we just get right into it? Should I give the rundown for how we're doing it this week? Yeah, give the rundown, because we're doing it different, because... Because uh, multicolored this... sets don't lend themselves super well to our, like, five cards from each color sort of thing. Right. It was really good for Kamigawa, and Kamigawa had so many good cards in it. It was, mm -hmm. like, really easy to do. Yeah. Capenna, not quite like that. Yeah, a little tougher. So, we're going to do kind of a hybrid way. We're not going to do our way. We're not quite going to do the, like top 10 lists but it's like really awkward if you have overlap between the two people's top 10 lists what we're gonna do is we're going to each do 10 cards we have our lists they're more than 10 cards because there will be overlap and we'll just kind of skip over when a card has already been said and we're gonna start at the top of our list to try to get the best cards first because often like the cards that are obviously good are not even the most interesting to talk about because it's like yeah obviously this card's really good yeah, there's no need to wait for an hour and a half of podcasting just to get to, oh, the land cycle. That's the best cards in the set. <laughs> exactly. Kind of a letdown for that whole thing. So without further ado, Lee, do you want to tell us what your number one card in the set is? My number one card in the set is Xander's Lounge and the <laughs> following triumphs. Like, it's just all the triumphs. Yes. Uh, I didn't even put these on my list because they're too boring to put on a list but they're obviously the best cards in the set as for whatever that means yeah i'm just eventually going to grab one of each and i might play with some of them at some point yep <laughs> like i have I one of each of the uh Ikoria triomes and i believe to date i have only played with one ketria triome and one <laughs> rogren triome yeah i mean you only ever need one in your deck to fetch in modern and then for other formats it's you know Obviously, you play a lot of them in standard and then less of them in other formats. I think the most I've seen a deck play is like Jeskai Ascendancy and Pioneer, where you can mm -hmm. play like six Triomes. Yeah. But I don't know if you're going to be playing any of these ones because you want a bunch of Rogren Triomes. They are, in, in Pioneer in particular, if you are trying to do an indomitable creativity thing, then they're a little, they have the land subtype for your dwarf land can only play so many comes into play tap lands in most formats 
can also only play so many dwarven mines in pioneer like, <laughs> that's that's true my number one card is obnixilis the adversary this is one a black and a red for three loyalty planeswalker with casualty x so when you cast this you can sacrifice a creature to copy this spell the copy isn't legendary and it has starting loyalty of x the plus one each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card if you control a demon or devil you gain two life minus two create a one one red devil creature token with when this creature dies it deals one damage to any target in minus seven target player draws seven cards and loses seven life I think in any deck where you have fodder lying around this is just an incredibly powerful three mana play you you want to copy it to get the good effect but if you do activating two loyalty abilities a turn is going to kind of bury your opponent yeah, it's really good in the type of the, like the sacrifice strategy that Wizards has honestly been pushing for like four sets now. Any red black deck that you've seen in the past couple of years has been doing this. So. Yeah, so it just slots right into all of those, and it's you still get to play with like Shambling Gas and all that stuff. Yep. Uh, even Pioneer still has its own versions of the sacrifice decks, uh, and it slots right into those too. Yep. It's also like great at protecting itself. Like, if you sacrificed a three-power creature like a Skyclave Shade or something and make two devils, like, that's really hard to attack into effectively and kill. Like, maybe they kill an Obnixilis, but then you still have one and you probably messed up their attackers really badly, so. Yeah, devils are actually pretty hard to... If you Anytime you have multiple devils, like, if you've ever resolved to burn down the house for three devils in, like, a medium board, it's, like, kind of weird to figure out how combat works. Yeah. Just keep in mind that when you multi-block, they don't have to kill all of the devils if you're counting on that for your damage. But uh, you can you can figure that out pretty easily. Also, devils are great sacrifice things if you're continuing to sacrifice after your Obnixilis and not just plussing every single turn. Uh, but yeah, I think this card's great. And I do think a lot of the power of Rob Obnixilis is that you... Like, it's a semi-uncounterable Planeswalker where you do get to, sacri- to like pressure their hands so much. Yeah. I think it's really cool for that. Yep. For sure. it's This is the number two on my list. But so, your next card after that is... Yeah, my next card after that is Riveteer's Charm. Mm-hmm. So Riveteer's Charm is a Jund instant. It costs black, red, green. Uh, choose one. Target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. They control with the highest of mana value. One creatures and planeswalkers they control. Exile the top three cards of your library until end of turn. Until, he, until your next end step. You may play those cards and then exile target player's graveyard so the the trick with the exile mode is you can actually cast it on your opponent's instep untap all your mana and have all those cards ready and your opponent's instep is when you want to cast your instant speed card draw anyways so this, yeah it's fine like, it, it, this is a mostly a removal spell mm-hmm. with that like uh ancestral i'm just gonna call it ancestral tacked onto it <laughs> yeah but it's like a good removal but it's a you know soul shatter like kills the biggest thing and isn't dead against like heavy planeswalker decks like you can get it to fairy hero of dominaria with this thing i do think the graveyard mode is often overlooked as like not being as sexy as the other ones but it's honestly the perfect kind of effect that you want on a charm yeah because it's not very good in most situations but the situations it's good in it's just it decides the game yeah yeah or, or it's like it gives you more i, I think torment script is not as powerful as it once was there's a lot of ways around that one shot effect mm-hmm. but because it's on a card that gives you two other modes and it's just like part of your deck anyway it, yeah. you get so much free equity from it i i agree but 
the other two modes play together so nicely. It's like a fine removal spell or card draw when it's later in the game and you don't want that removal spell. Like, you know, the only downside to this card is that it does cost three mana and it costs Jun mana. So it is a little clunky, a little expensive, not the easiest to cast. But however many you can fit in your deck, like they will find spots to be very good in, I think. And I think Jund is not that bad of a color combination historically. Mm-hmm. Like in Pioneer, we see sacrifice decks that play uh, Prosper's End Caper or uh, up to Corvold, you know? Yeah. Like these are cards that are C play. Right. I'm not saying that like it makes it bad that it's Jund. It just makes it there are fewer decks that can play oh, this yeah, card. Absolutely. That all, that's, that's how all three color cards right, work. Of course. But there's like, I think Jund is probably in the top tier of three colors. Whereas you look at something like Naya and it gets a lot harder to justify. Right. But like Jund is good in a lot of formats, like stretching all the way back. There's a Jund deck in basically everything until you get to like Legacy and can't justify doing that nonsense. So I expect to see Riveteer's Charm in every format, in in standard, historic, pioneer, modern, uh, some number of Riveteer's Charms showing up in each of those. Yeah. I think this card's very, very good. That's why it's so high, <laughs> number yeah. three on my list. Yep, it is also on my list. A little farther down, but, like, order doesn't... Order's kind of whatever. It's, like, it's it's within the, like, group of cards that I'm like, these are going to see play. So, what... The, see, the my, details my, don't uh, matter. My speculative picks start up around, like, six or so. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I get, like, pretty speculative about it. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that soon. My number two card is Unlicensed Hearse. This is a two generic cost vehicle. Tap, exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. Unlicensed Hearse's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards exiled with it, and it has crew two. I just see this as a really powerful sideboard option for creature decks that want graveyard hate that is doesn't like, you know, you're, you're not bummed to draw multiple pieces of graveyard hate when one of them is an unlicensed hearse like it's going to do something you're going to be able to beat up your opponent with it it's not like drawing too many tormod's crypts and uh it's just really effective it sits there it makes them unable to cast reanimation spells it makes them unable to uh you know trigger things off that from cards hitting their graveyard and I think it works really, really well at what it does. It is two mana and not one, but it has a lot of upside here. And I expect to see it in probably older formats more than standard. But because you can fit it into any deck that has creatures, regardless of color, I think that there's just a lot of space for this card. Yeah, I do too. It's actually the next card on my list as well. <laughs> uh, I'm a real big fan of this one. Like one of the problems I would say with like a Relic of Progenitus, is anytime my opponent would draw two Relic of Progenitus or two Soul Guide Lanterns or whatever, they would immediately crack the second one just trying to look for something to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this card, even if you just have one, as soon as they're they're low on resources, you just go to town with it. You just start attacking with it. Yeah. Whereas like with a card like Relic or Soul Guide Lantern, you don't want to pop the first one because you don't know when you're going to need that effect. Like You want to have access to it still. Right. Uh, if they're with, If they're playing like is it Merktide and you like relic them to to draw your card and then they're like okay great i'm gonna cast a couple of kit i'm gonna like i i have a dragon's rage channeler in play i just need to cast two spells and now like and and this doesn't have that problem really yeah once you get the, the graveyard low enough and you want to start doing something else because you need to pressure your opponent in these decks that you know taking their graveyard away yeah you just like 
load up the vehicle and turn and attack them for a bunch. Yep. It attacks for a lot of damage. It does attack for a lot of damage. You do it's, need it's to power time is equal to the number of cards you exile with. So it's it keeps scaling up. Yes. Uh, it does have, you know, two is a steeper crew cost. Most of the, like, really constructed playable vehicles have, like, easy ways to crew it. And two is slightly difficult. But that just means that you do have to be playing a deck that is creature, re- reasonably creature heavy in order to play this. Yeah. No, none of this Thraven Inspector doing right. triple duty here. Yeah, you, you have to you have to crew it with a real man and like that. But, you know, it, you can tell what the card is asking for and you put it in the decks that can fulfill those obligations. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Grease Fang also. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, it's definitely the Grease Fang mirror breaker, if nothing else. Yeah, Grease Fang's been seeing a lot more play in Pioneer recently. And Unlicensed is just a nice little vehicle for it. Yeah, I I love Grease Fang, I'm going to, like, I I was playing a bunch of it in standard queues just because it's, like, very fun to play various versions of Grease Fang with Asika's Chariot. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm going to goof around with that more and this will probably find a spot there. So next on my list after Unlicensed first, I've got Luxior, Giada's Gift. This is a uh, one-mana legendary equipment. That gives the equipped creature plus one plus one for each counter on it. And the equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. You can equip it to a planeswalker for one mana or a creature for three mana. And it's on here because of the combo with Devoted Druid. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how many times you untap Devoted Druid to get a minus one minus one counter, the plus one plus one from Luxier cancels it out and you can make infinite mana. Yeah. Which is all tutorable with Urza Saga. We talked about this in the last podcast. My feelings on it haven't changed since then. <laughs> I still do not think the deck is good. But that's not really a problem with Luxier specifically. It's just that mm-hmm. I think the, the supporting pieces for that kind of deck aren't there. Right. Luxier itself, having a tutorable Urza Saga card is good Yep. for that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that if it doesn't get there now... If a Devoted Druid ever does get there in the future because it got a missing piece, it's going to include Urza Saga, Luxiar, and the bow as like part of the equation there. Because that's just too good of a a set of like both alternate ways to put power and toughness on the board and get like hate or anti-hate, and also to, you know, have interchangeable combo pieces that you can tutor for. I also expect the card Urza Saga to get better and better this year. Mm-hmm. Because we do know the next two sets are on Dominaria. There's the sure. Dominaria set that's the next one, and then Brothers War, which is modeled after Antiquities, the set with <laughs> so probably every card in it has an artifact somewhere a, in its text box. A couple of zeros and ones in that set. Yeah, well, lots of. So I I expect Urza Saga to get like a big boost from the next two, or at least from the Brothers War, mm-hmm. and then maybe you can try to build Devoted Druid with Urza Saga from there. But yeah. right now, I don't think it's great. It's just like a, a good starting place. Yep. Uh, my next card is Citizen's Crowbar. Oh, man. I had this on my list and I took it off. It's, I mean, <laughs> like, it's slightly speculative, but I think it does something that no other card does and in in a way that is good enough to, to make it at least, like, merit serious looks all the time. Uh, this is one and a white for an equipment. 
When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token, then attack citizens crowbar to it. Equip creature gets plus one, plus one, and has white tap, sacrifice citizens crowbar, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it has equip two. Uh, so, I, I mean, like, it weirdly does actually have a surprising amount of value involved in this for, like, the utility card that it is. It makes the token, it attaches itself to it, so it's already a 2-2 that leaves behind an equipment when the creature dies. And like, that was like border, like almost good enough, honestly, as a card on its own. Uh, but really what this is, is a disenchant that you can Stoneforge Mystic for. And we don't have that. And I think that's a really big deal. Yeah. And anytime equipment gets printed, you like read what it does. And if it's some weird effect, like Lion Sash was in the last set or Citizen Scrobar now, it's like, ooh, Stoneforge can tutor for this. Yep. And you ask yourself, is that good enough? I don't know, maybe. But it's something you can do now. It's in the right color for it. It's a little slow at it because the citizen can't use the crowbar the turn it comes into play. But if you have enough mana, you can attach this to something without summoning sickness and use the crowbar that turn. So you can potentially, if it's the late game and you draw your Stoneforge Mystic, you can Stoneforge, get your citizen's crowbar, attach it. I mean, that's a lot of mana, but it, like it... it I think is pretty good and you literally can't stoneforge for any other disenchant. This is the first one. So, you know, I, I think that that's enough. Yeah. I don't think, I think this rate is a little too bad for mm -hmm. stoneforge mystic formats and which is why I ended up taking it off my list. I could see that. I, I agree that it's like a unique effect. There's no mm -hmm. other equipment that you can tutor for that disenchants. Yeah. But I don't know how often you actually want that right. in the decks that play Stoneforge Mystic. I could see that just never being like, uh, okay, I would rather just get one of my actual Stoneforge yeah, targets like here's right a metal now. Cyst or something. Yeah, that that's very possible. And if that's true, then this does lose most of its purpose. But it's unique enough that I had to put it on there. Yeah, I, I like this card. I think if it were more Seal of uh, Primordium or like mm -hmm. a, a, an actual Disenchant at the turn, you put it into play it'd yeah. be a lot more appealing it'd be a lot more appealing it'd be a really dirty card uh as is like yeah with Luris banned this is this definitely loses a lot if we still had Luris, i think this card would be just like a slam dunk totally nuts yeah possibly oh yeah because you get the token every time too yeah yeah oh, that's neat okay all right so the next card i had on my list is a card called strangle yep so strangle is a red mana sorcery that deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. That's it. It's a mm -hmm. slow lightning bolt. It doesn't hit players. <laughs> yeah, seems very good in when you want to deal three damage to a creature or a planeswalker. I have heard people refer to this as like the stat check for Pioneer. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's that good. Like it, being a sorcery is a real cost. Uh, Phoenix currently plays and blue red control too if that's still a thing by the time this podcast comes out uh they play four fiery impulse right because three is a break point in that format yeah which is a red mana for deal three if you have two incident sorcery in your graveyard because that's spell mastery mm -hmm. but that card is an instant so you do get some flexibility if you want to include strangle in your deck you have that choice now whereas before you just had to play fiery impulse or lightning mm -hmm. axe is like the only thing you could, that did more than two damage for a red mana and pioneer right but now you have strangle which doesn't have either of the downsides of the other cards you can actually use it early if you don't want to run out cantrips you want to do other stuff you know mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's going to break the format or revolutionize like stat checking the way Lightning Bolt did because Lightning Bolt was so good. Yeah. But it, this is something to consider when you're building decks. Yeah, for that's without Lightning Bolt. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Lightning Bolt is a really bad card to have in standard because it like creates that stat check that very few creatures like no three mana creature can pass basically like you can't play three mana creatures in formats where lightning bolt is around not only because lightning bolt is so good and efficiently removes them but because you are encouraged to put so many lightning bolts in your deck if you're attacking your opponent with small creatures then there's no downside to putting four lightning bolts in your deck because three damage to the face is so much damage this card is going to see significantly less play than a lightning bolt in standard but it potentially can have kind of a similar effect on like what creatures you're allowed to play if it is seeing a decent amount of play it won't be as omnipresent but you still can't if it's around you can't run three mana three toughness creatures into it like you you still have to be really careful with your creature selection and it is efficient enough at killing stuff and we have enough red decks in standard and you know in older formats too but like for standard we have enough red decks that want to kill creatures and this is really good at it so i'm sure it'll see a lot of play there i will also note that it does this does hit planeswalkers as well mm-hmm. like one of the downsides of fiery impulse in the phoenix decks is your opponent plays a narset and you like have to attack it with a phoenix now yeah and you don't now you can just strangle strangle yeah. narset <laughs> that's really good uh and another reason not to minus your narset when you cast it against phoenix it's your hate card you yes. play it and protect it yeah uh, again i Still don't think this is a game changer, but it is another deck building option, which is very good. Yep, I think that's a strong card for sure. My next card is Tainted Indulgence. So this is uh, blue-black for an instant. Draw two cards, then discard a card unless there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard. Honestly, this card could end after then discard a card, and it would be a card that I'm like completely fine with because that's most of the reason i would be putting it in a deck is a two mana instant speed you know chart a course we run all the time as like i don't really care if i'm ever gonna get both the cards off of this like i want to discard cards this does it at instant speed a little more restrictive mana cost but it is a really really efficient way of putting a specific card into your graveyard at card parity and then if you get to the late game this is just a two mana draw two potentially depending like you know, five costs is like kind of awkward to reach. At least lands count for one of it, but you may it's, just you basically have to put a four drop in your deck and have it die. Essentially. Yeah, because yeah. you're gonna have zero, a land ones, twos, and threes. Like those, those are really easy to get. Well, depend if you're milling yourself somehow. Like well, lands, I... it like lands in smaller formats. Lands in standard and pioneer don't hit the graveyard that much unless you're like really putting cards into your graveyard. So the reason I say lands is fairly easy because this card does have you discard and lands is a prime target there. Tainted Indulgence is in the same color combination as Kaido Shizuki with a, shim- sure. a similar effect. Yeah, that's and good Kaido is quite good. Uh, just like kind of waiting for a shell that he's actually good in. Mm-hmm. He, he sees a lot of play in like Esper Planeswalker decks because he's just a generically good card. Yeah. But if you can figure out doing something with the cards you're discarding while getting card advantage and putting creatures on the board, I think you've got like a stew going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where I'm most interested in this is when you are you have stuff that you're interested in getting into your graveyard on turn two. And then if your deck also is capable of going long and being happy with it, where this becomes a two mana draw two, then that's a, another big upside. 
Yeah, I do think the graveyard component is important with this card, mm -hmm. while also letting you transition to a value game plan with this card and Kaido. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that I don't know what the missing graveyard component is. Like, can I play Esper Greasefang? Can I do that? I don't know, maybe. Probably. You probably are splashing green for Asika's Chariot at that point. Um, yeah, and Asika's Chariot's a four. It is a four. Five different mana costs. And if you have all these discard outlets, then it's fine if you don't have your green mana yet because you actively want to put the chariot in your graveyard. Like, I'm pretty into Esper Greasefang doing this. Like, that sounds great to me, honestly. Yeah, that's... So I didn't have Dana and Joel just on my list. But that was the place I was, like, thinking that it would go for at least, like, try out. Initially in Standard and stuff, yeah. I, I have played a fair amount of grease fang and standard because i find it very fun if whenever you do discard asika's chariot on turn one or two uh i was using learn creatures to do that <laughs> uh but you know this is a probably better way of doing it whenever you discard asika's chariot on turn one or two and then play grease fang on turn three and get back your asika's chariot and attack with it and get it back to your hand like you get to cast the chariot the next turn after that and you've hit them and made a bunch of cats like it's really good like people don't beat that very often so it's worth pursuing a deck that does that all right my next card is a, a little bit of a weird one sure i've got corpse explosion so this is a one br sorcery mm -hmm. as an additional cost to cast this spell you exile a creature card from your graveyard yeah uh, and then Corpse Explosion deals damage equal to the Exile card's power to each creature and each Planeswalker. Mm -hmm. My perception of this card is very colored by just the amount of Pioneer I've been playing recently. And if you haven't played that format in a while, red-black mid-range decks are all over the place. And they are kind of like removal spell decks for the most part. And one of the weird things is they don't have good catch-up mechanisms because your removal is single-target removal, right? Sure. And they play a million cards like Blood Tithe Harvester, which mm -hmm. is a three... They have no two power creatures in their deck, basically. They're all three power creatures or mm -hmm. more. And so I was thinking maybe you could do something with Corpse Explosion like as a sideboard card. Sure. So that gives you some sort of catch-up mechanism that actually works against Planeswalker type boards mm. like if you're playing against a sacrifice deck you could have a couple copies of this it claims up their board and they're up next lists yeah do you think this is better than like storm's wrath for that purpose i think the mana point matters a whole lot sure i don't know if because three mana is a huge setup for between right four. like you can on turn five you can or six you can play three and a two i'm just wondering how much is this like less inconsistent than a four mana that you don't have to exile a creature, you know, like which is the more, which is the bigger downside, I guess, the mana or the like requiring you to have a creature of appropriate size. I, I don't know. I, I think having the creature is pretty easy in that sort mm -hmm. of deck. You play a bunch of them. You've got Blood Tithe Harvesters and the Bone Crusher Giants and the Graveyard Trespassers and all, all the way up the curve. You're just like a creature deck with random removal spells. <laughs> so I don't think that's an issue. Mm -hmm. I guess you have an emergency mode button of. Uh, my opponent's board is enormous, so I'm going to exile Kroxa now. Like, I, I don't see how that comes up, but it, you can do it, I guess. Well, I, I think like every little bit, every little ingredient of putting creatures into your graveyard over the course of the game helps this card be better. You know, like just makes it a little more consistent. And also having access to the six when 
you know, your opponent could have like Niv-Mizzet or something in play. I don't know. That's a fairy here of Dominaria at six. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is certainly a speculative one. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. But I, like I said, I've just been playing <laughs> a lot more Pioneer recently than usual. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of stuck out as like, maybe you can do something with this if you really wanted to. Like, sure. will you? I, I don't know. But yeah. it's something. No, I, I buy that. I at, I I saw it and thought, ah, I don't really want to have to have a creature in my graveyard to sweep my opponent's board and just kind of like went past it. But yeah, if, if you find specific uses for it, then I think it could do something. The fact that it hits creatures and planeswalkers is uh, the, the selling point here. Yes. My next card is Endless Detour. This is Bant Mana, so green, white, blue for an instant. The owner of target spell, non-land permanent, or card in a graveyard puts it on the top or bottom of their library. You can only have so many three-mana reactive spells in your deck, but I think if you can make the mana for this one, this is kind of the one you want. It's just really, you know, it doesn't solve serious problems forever, but obviously this is a very different card from either Gus because either Gus costs two mana. But we've seen the power of the, like, modal spell that can deal with a thing on board, or you can hold it up to deal with a spell, you're free to tap out because you can solve a problem that ended up on the board. Like, it just allows you to play the game in the way that you choose to, and then it is versatile enough to kind of tag anything when you have to. Yeah, like, commit commit to memory, the mm-hmm. commit side, saw a lot of play in standard. Yeah, because exactly. Because of flexibility. Yeah. And this is a little less flexible in some ways because it is three different colors of mana but it also is one less total mana and i just think this card if decks that can make this mana and are interested in being like reactive or slower at all see play then this will be not only in those decks but a reason why you would want to play those colors so i i just think that it's quite good if you can make it happen so there is something i didn't realize about this card until you read it off Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was a reclaim as well. Yes, it's also a reclaim. So if they kill your like Holebreaker Horror or whatever, you can just kind of get it back. Yeah, put it on top of your deck. Mm-hmm. Draw it again. That's I don't know how often that comes up. It's probably not the primary mode of the card, but every little bit helps, especially for these tricolor cards. Yeah, and I think the the bare handful of times where you actually do that, it's going to be like, you know, end of turn, put my Teferi or put my Holebreaker Horror or something, and it's just going to be a huge difference in the game. The threat they dealt with and they don't have to anymore comes back. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's see. Ooh, I've got Devilish Valet next. Ooh. This is the card I was converted to last week. Nice. So Devilish Valet is a 200 red 1-3. It's a Devil Warrior with Trample and Haste. Uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you double Devilish Valet's power until end of turn. Uh, exclusively the reason this is on my list is because of uh, Rally the Ancestors. Yep, that I agree. Sincere told me about last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just really appealing to have a self-contained graveyard kill condition where mm-hmm. you can just like spend your entire deck filling up your graveyard, then cast uh, Rally the Ancestors for like three or whatever. Yep. And then bring everything back and kill your opponent. Like, bam, they're dead. Seems fine. Yep. And you don't need very many. You need five other creatures to get this to 32 power so and, and tokens count so your season pyromancers in whatever format you know if you're playing a format the season pyromancer is legal or whatever other token makers 
uh they count it's not hard to get five other creatures in this off of a rally so i think the weirdest part making this work would be the mana base because if mm -hmm. you ignore that you you don't have to play red right to get this in your graveyard right if you want to play stitcher supplier or looting effects mm -hmm. but you've got to play white for rally the ancestors and yes. that's kind of where it messes up because white's white, not a very good right. color for white this. is a terrible color at this except for the double white card rally the ancestors <laughs> yeah so i think that's the challenge in building devilish rally but it is i think the payoff is there yeah it to me it seems to be worth the squeeze also i love stitcher supplier that card is just so good my next card is titan of industry this is a big boy this is four ggg for a seven seven elemental with reach and trample when it enters the battlefield choose two destroy target artifact or enchantment target player gains five life create a four four green rhino warrior creature token or put a shield counter on a creature you control it's gonna do something really good and really big anytime it comes into play. I think this is a real payoff for ramp decks or if there's any way to cheat creatures into play. The fact that a lot of the value comes from the ETB, so it's very removal resistant. There's only so many spots for seven mana green creatures, but this is one and it's a really good example of one. Is this the Zakama slot in Amulet Titan? I guess I don't like I I don't pretend to know what is going to work and what isn't going to work in Amulet. Like I'll let the other I'll let the Doms and the Daryls figure that out. But it could. It's got a naturalize on it, you know. It has Titan in the name. It has Titan in the name. It's on theme. I but think the like, naturalize is not very good on this card in Amulet, at least. Just cause yeah, because you, you want to naturalize Blood Moon. This yeah. Is a seven mana triple green card. Yeah, good luck. You can't really cast that in that deck. Right. There are others. There are other spots where disenchanting something will be fine in other decks in other formats. I, I don't see the place for this card personally. It's just so expensive for mm -hmm. most kind of decks. And I don't know. I guess this is the kind of the weird spot with like expensive green creatures. You're either an Allosaurus Rider or you're something that gets pitched to Nourishing Soul. Sure. Those are the kind of things that you get used to seeing green creatures be paired with or expensive uh -huh. green creatures. Or your Cultivator Colossus, which is an excellent one. I, I mean, so this... I, I'm definitely thinking about this more for smaller formats where for smaller formats? you yeah, can actually fair. cast Rampant Growths and then this is a payoff to casting Rampant Growth type effects. Are there any small formats where you can do ramping stuff, though? I feel like that hasn't been a thing in quite Well, I a think, while. like, Standard has been off of its ramp cycle for a while, but Standard is totally... Like, ramping is an available option to Standard formats if the ingredients show up. And, you know, one of the ingredients that was missing is good big stuff to hit. And I think this beats a lot of boards. So... I, I'm like pretty happy to have this as a payoff. Also, I kind of want to God Pharaoh's gift this back into play because that sounds really good to me. It's like just two four fours. Kill your own God Pharaoh's gift as a show of dominance. Yeah, and I, I'll kill you with this hasty four four. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like it comes into play. Ability is so big that you know, it, like it's worth God Pharaoh's gifting back into play. You know, or whatever, whatever way you have cheating it or blinking it or something like that because that's a huge very versatile etb like it's one of the best etbs 
there is short of like Archon of Cruelty. So that's a thing. I wanted to say something, but I forgot. Oh, and the this set has a lot of treasures. It's kind of like a ramping thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see like the jury on that, especially for standard. Sure. Yeah. A lot of them I don't think are very good or costed appropriately for standard. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we still have deadly dispute and stuff like that. So who knows? Yep. yep. Just if you're in the market for a big green thing, I think this one counts and is good enough. But you have to be in a spot where you want a big green creature with a powerful ETB. Oh, my next card is actually uh, kind of a cop out. Mm-hmm. It's just big score. Okay. So big score is a three and a red instant. It's an additional cost to play this, cast the spell, discard yeah. a card, draw two cards, and create two treasure tokens. This is just unexpected windfall, Strictly but easier better. to cast. Yeah, that's why I didn't put it on my list because I was just like, this is a reprint. Like, you obviously just sub it in if you're playing Unexpected Windfall still, but it's just totally uninteresting to me as a concept. Yeah, I do want to talk about, I do like how they kind of designed the set with treasures. I know it's gotten a lot of flack on social media because people have opinions. I had no idea people hated treasures so much. This is a tricolor set and they've all been subsidized by like, mechanics that let you cast the cards right akoria had a bunch of hybrid mana mm-hmm. cons had morph and shards of alar had cycling like, yeah. these are all just mechanics that let you do things with your uncastable three color cards or get you closer to casting them right right uh, shards of alar set... not only had cycling but it had basic land cycling yeah which is had lots very... of types of cycling yeah <laughs> this set just like does treasure tokens which lets you actually cast your three color cards which a lot of people are just like not taking into account when looking at the set. And I think it's actually a pretty big part of yeah. what I expect limited to look like. I'm interested in how they aimed and where it'll land. Like the one caution that I have about the treasure tokens is if it makes it such that like everybody's limited deck is like five color soup because you could cast all these off color stuff off of treasure tokens. But just depends on how easy they are to make and how like how likely you are to have them in play when you draw your off-color stuff. And so hopefully that isn't what happened. I'm sure that they were aware of that risk, so. Uh, didn't you enjoy Kaldheim because of a lot of five-color stuff, though, too? Well, yeah, but the thing was, I kept drafting five-color stuff and playing against people who were not playing five-color stuff. If it was, <laughs> if it were all mirrors, I don't think it would have been very fun. Okay. So really, you have to play Street Sanuka Penelope in the first, like, two weeks. Yeah, and then if people catch on, then it's, like, a problem. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right, my next card is Tenacious Underdog. This is one and a black for a 3-2 human warrior. Blitz, two and two black, pay two life. So if you cast a spell for its blitz, blitz cost it gains haste you have to sacrifice it at end of turn but you draw a card when you do or when when it dies you draw a card no matter how it dies and you can cast this from your graveyard using its blitz ability i don't think this is like an insane card or anything like that it's not like an infinite value engine or anything like that but it is a creature that you are fine casting on turn two in a black deck especially sacrifice theme deck or anything like that and then it will give you some value of some sort down the road if the game keeps going two drops that just like come into play and kind of die and like didn't really accomplish anything or when you draw them at some point it's like oh this is a two drop this sucks 
like those are tough to put in your deck and construct it a lot of the time but you're really happy to have them on turn two when you need to cast them and this kind of fills that role you get to cast it on turn two if you draw it later in the game you can do something with it and then it can work as a moderate value engine if you get in a grindy game where you have some mana to spare uh the <clears throat> costing of the blitz ability makes me think this card was very well tested yeah because i can certainly imagine a world where you didn't have to pay life for this ability right and the card is just insane and and they just were like okay we're, we're just gonna make sure nobody casts this like four times in a game and then that 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 should do it and, and this is like one of those cards where you you know you can play it on turn two for relatively no value at all it's just like a three two kind of like scrap Poops scrounger was mm-hmm. uh and then sacrifice dob next list and it comes back later you know yep. that sort of thing Yep. I feel like that's a perfectly reasonable play pattern for this kind of card. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be like a world breaker sort of card, but I, not the card world breaker. I don't think it's like a world beater type card, but I think it'll serve a nice role. It'll be a two drop that you're just not mad about at any point in the game. And that's that's almost the best you can hope for from from your two drops. That's, that's the type you're aiming to put into your deck. Yeah, I, I think this card's perfectly fine. Probably a little better than the Skyclave Shade in several spots. Yeah, yeah, I think it it's a good choice that you'll have to make in deck building, which one is better suited to your deck in the metagame at any given time. All right, I cheated for my next two cards because they're both <laughs> kind of the same thing. Uh-huh. So my next two are Knockout Blow and Whack. These are okay. both in the cycle of hate cards. Mm-hmm. So Whack is a three and a B sorcery that costs three less if it targets a white creature. And target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. Until this very instant, I thought this card was an instant. Oh so, wow, yeah. I I feel like I had all, I didn't realize that either. I also thought it was an instant, but I already kind of thought that it was just worse than Ray of Enfeeblement. And now that like really yes. makes me sure that this is worse than Ray of Enfeeblement. So anyway, Knockout Blow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, knockout Blow is a two and a white instant. Costs two less if it targets a red creature. It deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature, and you gain two life. Yeah, that's a good hate card. I like this one. This <laughs> is a one white mana. Just deal four to your stupid red creature It's attacking me, and I gain two life. It's like a whole time walk. You know what has four toughness and is red? Gold Span Dragon. <laughs> that was a very open-ending question. Like five cards came to well, mind. Well, an important one. <laughs> You know, this isn't the best because they do get to attack with their Goldspan Dragon and then you give them another treasure. But taking out Goldspan Dragon for one mana is pretty nice. And actually, it takes out all manner of 4-4 haste dragons for one mana. That's like a good spot to be in. I honestly, when I read this card, I'm like, oh, finally, I can kill Eidolon of the Great Revel without feeling so terrible. <laughs> yeah, they do get the trigger off of it, but it gets canceled out by the life gain. So it feels OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like more or less okay and it's only a single mana and yeah. you're not like pathing their guy or whatever right right <laughs> no i think that card's really good yeah yeah it's just a really decent sideboard card not so much uh whack which i misread completely <laughs> oh well that that'll happen in a new set review yeah so my next card is a little bit speculative but i just really i, I think there's just enough friends for this card that it's actually quite good potentially so this is Park Heights Pegasus. And this Ooh. is green-white for a 2-1 flying trample. Whenever Park Heights Pegasus deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. If you had two or more creatures, enter the battlefield under your control this turn. I So, you know, 
I looked at this and I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's fine. I It depends on how you trigger it. But like the cards that we have to trigger it with are really good. Like a Seekus Chariot? A Seekus Chariot. Uh, Adeline triggers it. You know, we pointed, I pointed out last time, what's it called? And this isn't going to make the list, but I think it's perfectly playable. Mage's Attendant. This is the two mana or the three mana three, two that creates a one, one blue wizard token that like four spikes, non-creature spells that triggers it. So does, and I, I think this is like a nice kind of combo with it. Extraction Specialist. This is the three mana three, two lifelink that when it etbs you return a cmc to or less creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and it can't attack or block as long as extraction specialist is in play which that's like an honorable mention for my list mostly because it's so good with luminarch aspirant specifically yeah i like i like extraction specialist i uh, i couldn't figure out where it would be good except for with luminarch aspirant right so i kind of just left it off my list <laughs> yeah i i know i want to bring back luminarch aspirant with it but and they have to kill your turn two Luminarch Aspirant, so it's like a perfect follow-up. But I don't really know if that ends up being a thing in a deck, but maybe... Uh, There's a lot of really good Y3 drops. Bringing back Park Heights Pegasus with Extraction Specialist is less exciting because you have to attack with the Pegasus to draw your card. But I... Like, circling back to the Pegasus itself, I... There's just a bunch of really good cards that fulfill the condition, and then this is like a two-mana, two-power flyer that draws a card each time you do that, and that's very strong. It, it flamples, just it, like a demon. Well, so if they, like, chump it with a 1-1 one, one flyer, you still get the damage trigger at least, I guess, is the... I guess. <laughs> or eye twitch. You can, you can draw a card hitting their eye twitch. <laughs> Boy, sure. eye twitch really does make this card kind of sad. I don't really think they expected any of the lesson learned cards to see constructed play, much less ban them. <laughs> yes, and revise them in arena. Yeah. But, you know, mostly because of on the back of Adeline and Asika's Chariot and then other cards that are fine, but it's like two A plus cards in standard go perfectly with this card. And that's enough to get me interested. All right, so what number am I on now? I'm like on number 12. This is my number 12. This is how deep we're at. <laughs> so we haven't had a ton of overlap. We had some different ideas about what we're what we're into here. Yeah, I like to dream big yeah. on my list, which is why my next card is Riveteer's Ascendancy. So this is a, a Jund enchantment, red, black, green. Uh-huh. Whenever you sacrifice a creature... You may return target creature card with lesser mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Do this only once each turn. <sighs> yep. Of course, you only do it once each turn. Yeah. Which, you a single tier. I know. I know you're a scrap trawler fiend, but I'm not sure that this is this one is it. Oh no, I don't think so either. But I am just enamored by like Vengevine, Bloodgast, Stitcher Supplier, Zombie Bump or um, <laughs> Goblin Bombardment kind uh-huh. of deal. Yeah. And I, I think this card's too weak in that list, but it's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, sacrifice Bloodgast, deal a damage, get back a Stitcher Supplier. That's that's Chef's Kiss right there. That is really cool. You just have to put a bunch of enchantments in your deck that don't do anything. I know. It just seems so unlikely to me that a format that has the creatures to go with this nicely will also be low enough powered that you can play a, a yeah. Jund cost enchantment that does this. It's a, See, the- it's a weird, like... Goldilocks situation that has to happen for it the to work out. The real problem with this card is not the mana cost, in my opinion. 
it is mm-hmm. the fact that it only triggers once per once turn. Once per turn. Because you never go off. If it didn't, you could just, I'm sure, find a way to kill someone with it. <laughs> yes. But that's not a thing in this card. Which... This would probably have to be like a five or six mana enchantment if you could do it multiple times. Uh, or we could just like let them have it. It's, yeah. Come on. I mean, yeah. Jeskai's in its season print. <laughs> that card's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Card's completely insane. It, it's just the text just keeps going to make it work perfectly and <laughs> you can just kill your opponent with a ham sandwich. I didn't even realize it untapped the creatures the first time I read it. Right. I thought it just mirrored prowess. <laughs> it untaps the creatures. It pumps the creatures. It loots to keep you going. Like, it just does all of the things. to. It's a self-contained combo. It's incredible. If they had treated the ascendancies in this set like they treated the ultimatums in Aquaria, mm-hmm. like this, this would have been a different card. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see. Where am I at? Uh, so this one is pretty speculative. But Where it does, are you at on your list? I think this is my ninth. So on my list, I have skipped two cards that you've named. But now I am at Ledger Shredder, mostly because this matches up with like ways that I want to play Magic. This is one in a blue for a 1-3 flying bird advisor. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, Ledger Shredder connives. Draw a card, then discard a card. If you discarded a non-land card, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. I don't know exactly which formats you are going to want this in, but this does seem like a good friend of Phoenix in, you know, it's a good two drop to go into Phoenix uh, in historic, for some reason, we have Dragon's Rage Channeler. I don't know if you can run both or what you want to do, but this is, you know, a two mana threat that can go into a Phoenix type deck that doesn't have to use the graveyard to do its thing. So, whatever they're hating you with, this thing is just like cast your cantrips and eventually, like, I'll get pretty big and I'll also give you extra card selection along the way. And I think that could actually be pretty powerful. It also triggers. It only ca- no, it triggers, triggers off both players. Um, right, it triggers off both players. So if your opponent double spells and doesn't also kill the Ledger Shredder, then you do get to connive. Or if you're just like really cantrip heavy, you can trigger it on your turn and then trigger it on their turn. Uh, if they double spell on their turn, you can double spell on yours and theirs. You can get a lot of connive triggers in a single turn cycle. But I think mostly, you know, you'll cast two cantripy spells in your turn. You'll get an extra loot out of it and then... Once it's triggered a couple of times, it hits really hard. Also, if you cast this on your turn three and you cast it and then cast a, an opt or consider, then that's your second spell. You will trigger the connive immediately. And, or a removal spell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that this has some legs. I think uh, it triggers connive often enough when you have a deck for it that that can be really powerful. I think it is i'm not sure how to think about this card honestly Mm -hmm. i think it's a little too small with a a few too many hoops to like ramp up quick enough to matter in most games i think the place for it is phoenix Mm -hmm. i don't know if it edges out as a card you actually want to play but it is something i'm interested in trying out yeah makes sense yep It, it exactly it made my list as a card that is interesting enough that i will try it in phoenix decks in at least historic and pioneer so probably pioneer a little historic like historic has some crazy cards in it it does but it's also like the three toughness is like really weird in 
historic, and especially if you go up to four toughness on your turn, it's like not easy to kill for a two drop. So that that that's can be similar a... to Pioneer then. Yeah. The only thing that kills two drops Pioneer is Fatal Push. It feels like <laughs> right. <laughs> or three toughness thing. I mean, in well, like that's why when you see the Phoenix list now, like they're all fiery impulses and a bunch of lightning axes because it's you know they're trying to kill the bigger creatures and yeah. All right, I'm on my thirteenth card now, and I'm getting into the weeds. That's fair. <laughs> so just tell me when you want me to stop. <laughs> well, I think we're. I think this is like our tenth card each, right? Because I've done nine. Yeah, this is your last card. Okay. Okay. And then we'll have done ten apiece. All right. So I picked a a weird one. This is uh, what's the name of this card? Obscura Interceptor. Mm-hmm. This is a one white blue black cephalid wizard it's a three one with flash and lifelink when it enters the battlefield it connives when it connives this way return up to one target spell to its owner's hand so this is your mystic snake variant of the set Mm -hmm. i had this paired with like obscura charm as like if you are in the esper color shard and you are playing a controllish deck this is a card that you can look at to play yeah uh, because if it connives and you discard a non-land card it is a 4-2 with lifelink which is actually pretty big sure especially in a controlling style deck i do think it's a little on the weak side like you certainly wouldn't want to play very many of these mm-hmm. uh, and it's a very narrow effect it just bounces the spell back to their hand like unsubstantiated and counter it or anything right but it, you do get a loot, and it does have lifelink, which I think are huge points in its favor. It also can hit uncounterable spells, so you could bounce their Hullbreaker Horror to their hand. You could, yeah. That's uh, the thing. I So I was looking at this card, the thing, and this is maybe unfair, but the thing that made me go, uh, no, I'm not putting this on my list, is the fact that its triggered ability gets countered by Spikefield Hazard because it's not in play to see itself conniving if you kill it in response to the connive trigger. Is that true? Is that how that card works? Yeah, that is how that card works. I don't like Cause that. Because it's two triggers. It's a connive trigger and then a trigger off of the connive trigger. No, it's not. Is it not? I, I'll, I'll have to double check. I'm pretty sure, since this is all one trigger, it's just setting up oh, a trigger yeah, to trigger right. when, it con- when you connive, essentially. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Like, if it said whenever you connive return a spell like as a different line of text i'm pretty sure it would work as you're describing yeah but because this is all one trigger i'm pretty sure Spike yeah i guess you're right you're, you're probably right that doesn't okay, really that is better than but yeah that doesn't lessen the evaluation of the card to me because that's how I, I, I like didn't think it was vulnerable right, or right, right. In that way and they're also already casting a spell right yes but i mean a lot of times especially in these like blue mirrors like you're just kind of holding up spike field hazard at all times <laughs> at some point in the game <laughs> i mean you gotta play them as lands eventually they're usually better that way yeah usually but a lot of times you got a lot of them but anyways yeah i mean I, yeah i do think that this card can be fine for sure like a four power lifelink if you ever are playing against an aggressive deck and you get to get their creature and then swing back for four and yeah that's good you can also be playing like an esper planeswalkers mirror mm-hmm. and being able to bounce a card they're playing that's like five mana and then attacking one of their planeswalkers is actually a pretty big swing turn yeah that is yeah i could see that yeah I'm, I'm reasonably into this card i could see it working out also it's a cephalid wizard and it looks nothing like the cephalids in odyssey and that does make me sad <laughs> i want just stupid looking squid people 
Yeah, that's fair. This is actually just a person with some tentacles as their hair. Like you could actually cosplay this. You could not. I I mean, people cosplay everything, but it's the the Odyssey cephalids are not tempting cosplays to do. I I'd be far more impressed with an Odyssey cephalid cosplay than this one. <laughs> Capenna cephalids, thumbs down. <laughs> so my last card is like kind of a combination of two similar cards both like in the treasure category and i think that they kind of can give some sort of direction here so we've got professional face breaker which is uh, quite a career path to yeah, choose i, I don't I like i like that i had this card in my preliminary list yeah I, because i just loved the the name and the effect uh two and a red for a two three menace whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player create a treasure token sacrifice a treasure exile the top card of your library you may play that card this turn so it just like has this combination of immediate effect when it comes into play as long as you are attacking with creatures that will hit your opponent and then if it stays in play it has menace and an effect and also can leverage you having an excess of treasure tokens into getting cards so if your deck is capable of generating a decent number of treasure tokens this is a really good way to both generate them give you token generation and also give you a payoff for having token treasure tokens in play and i do think that's a nice combination but it is reliant on a pretty specific deck existing in order to work Uh, and then the other card that i have kind of going with it is agnes the dragon's lash So this is one and a black-red hybrid, a green-red hybrid, and a red mana. But the takeaway from all of that is you can cast this for one red, red, red. And... Corbin. Yes. And a treasure deck is likely to be pretty heavy red and, like, maybe some black. And this, So this is perfectly castable in a red-black deck or a mono-red deck. It is a 3-3 haste. Whenever a creature you control with haste attacks, create a tapped treasure token... And there's a decent number of hasty creatures that you could play in a deck that has things to do with treasures. This has haste. It creates a tap treasure token the turn it comes into play and attacks. But, you know, a 3-3 haste for 4 mana is not the best. So you're going to need a bunch of haste creatures in your deck in order to make this work. I don't know exactly where it goes. It's capable of generating several treasure tokens. You can't use them immediately. So it's kind of a speculative thing, but if you just are able to do like a lot of treasury stuff, this may be a way of doing things with that. So I actually had a shout out to Jenny Faye, Jetmere second. Mm-hmm. This is a green and a red, green, green and a white. Yeah. <laughs> three, three. So you can you can cast it for triple green. Or yeah. You can cast it for green, green, white or green, green, red or all three. Uh, but if you'd create one or more tokens, you can make that many 2-2 two, two green haste tokens or that many 3-1 dog tokens with vigilance mm-hmm. instead. Uh, this was the treasure payoff I had on my list instead sure. of professional facebreaker. Yeah. Because it's a little easier to make tokens in like green and white specifically. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be just treasures, right. though it is very good with treasures. Yeah, it's really nice to convert your non-creature tokens into like haste tutus yeah haste tutus is really nice with this card yeah i it didn't make my i think it's it's the very very bottom of my list uh, because i don't have a lot of faith in a card that's like green green white yeah it is really cool though but it is a neat card yeah yeah for sure 
Uh, there are a couple of neat cards that I just want to very quickly point out. They're like not on my list, but they are potentially relevant. Um, one is Boon of Safety. This is white for an instant. Put a shield counter on target creature and scry one. And I think that, you know, this fills like a pretty neat God's Willing type of space. And it also is proactive in a weird way. I'm thinking specifically of Dreadhorde Arcanist, where like you could cast this and flash it back with Dreadhorde Arcanist and get a couple of scries. And then you have a Dreadhorde Arcanist with like multiple shield counters on it, which is a huge pain in the ass. You know, that's an option for if you need that kind of effect. I, I gotta say, I was really into this card mm -hmm. uh, when I thought it could put it on any permanent. <laughs> but oh, it's just creatures. Yeah, no, that would be amazing if it could, you know, you could protect your artifacts and enchantments with it. Or planeswalkers. Planeswalkers, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, shield counters eat a whole combat stuff on your planeswalker. Yeah, that would be really nuts. Alas. One card that I think won't get there, but people will pay too much attention to for a little while, is Workshop Warchief, because it's Thragtusk-esque, but, like, worse than Thragtusk in a bunch of ways. Yeah. It's a five mana, five three with Trample, and you gain only three life. Yeah. Three life is so much less than five. Yes. Five is like, oh, man, I don't, I don't God, know the math right that would lead me to be able to deal it. I can't count that high. Three is like... That's one more card. Yeah, that's a lightning bolt. Yeah. That's why Siege Rhino is so good, right? It's like Four. six life. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you know my favorite card in this set? Hmm. It's a very weird one. Go for it. It's Unleash the Inferno. Okay, I don't I don't think I know what that card is. Yeah, I don't I don't blame you. Uh this is a let me scroll to it. It's a one black, red, green instant. Oh, seven I do know what this card target does. creature or planeswalker. Yeah. And then when it deals excess damage this way, you destroy an artifact or enchantment that opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the amount of excess damage. I just think this card is so cool. Mm -hmm. I don't think it sees any play at all. It's like way too weird for that, but it's so neat. I think it is really neat. And it is like a weird design language that we've never seen but I just, it just seems like it costs like one colored mana too many for what it's doing or something. Like, you know, hey, I get it. Like it's, it gives me a bunch of fiery justice vibes where it's like a tri-colored card mm -hmm. that it does a lot of weird stuff for no yes. real reason. Yeah. And I just really enjoy that in just the set in 2022. Or how bizarre this card is. Yeah. Like I if you told me this card was a reprint from like alliances or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can believe that. Yeah. And it had like a ton of like tiny text to explain what it was doing. Yeah, with some art that had no relation to what was happening. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it is a cool card, but I it seem it just seems like it never quite does what you want it to do. Oh no, no. But I really like it. It's yes. so cool to me. Uh they gave the angel decks a like a card, a hell oh, of a card. That card is like so good and specifically an angel. Deck. <laughs> yes, it's just like the craziest angel lord, uh, Giada, Font of Hope, one and a white for a two-two flying vigilance, legendary angel. Each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it for each angel you already control. So not just a lord, like it just like they get bigger and bigger. And it has tap, add a white, spend this mana only to cast an angel spell, which it also has vigilance, so it does get to attack for two flying damage and then 
tap for mana. The only thing is it doesn't add a white for your collected company for the historic angels deck. But, you know, people are going to play like tier two angels decks in standard and historic as long as they're able to. And this is the two drop that's going to allow them to win games because it's very good in those decks. I actually really like this card for I think it's like the perfect good casual card Mm -hmm. because it's a really obviously good card that tells you exactly what to play that people are already playing yeah people love playing angels and this rewards you for it and i think that's cool and it's so good it's really good like good in a tournament way that allows an angels deck to if it draws this card and plays it on turn to compete with a lot of you know real tournament decks it's it's a birth the a bolt the bird moment with yes, Giada. Absolutely. Like, oh god, I have to kill this thing. <laughs> yeah. I I do want to point out just a couple of like helpful utility things. Uh Courier's briefcase is really just another prosperous innkeeper. So if you're trying to run a lot of prosperous innkeepers, you have access to additional copies. Or prosperous innkeeper rotates out. <laughs> yeah, so when prosperous in- innkeeper rotates out you have courier's briefcase to do the same thing it, it is a one in a green for a treasure that creates a citizen token uh and also has a a wooberg draw three ability on it which it's the wooberg ancestral mm-hmm. unlucky witness i think is a fine creature for sacrificing one red mana for a one one when it dies exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step you may play one of those cards it's just so cheap and does give you a card back when it dies it has to see play somewhere and then corpse appraiser is like a surprisingly really good weird card draw grixis thing this is blue black red for a three three vampire rogue when etbs exile up to one target creature card from a graveyard if a card is put into exile this way, look at the top three cards of your library, then put one of those cards into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Like, it's a three mana three three that casts strategic planning when it comes into play, as long as there was a creature card in a graveyard. And that feels really good to me, but I don't know where you ever put it. So, yeah. Like, I, the text box is really good. You yeah. get to the mana cost, and it's like, hmm, where yes. is this going? <laughs> Has a Grixis deck ever been good in Magic the Gathering? when it didn't have like death right shaman in it well a lot of people played the stupid grixis energy deck mm-hmm. was it good debatable <laughs> highly debatable but yeah i think you know there's obviously more cards that we've missed and stuff and probably your favorite but those are the cards that we were into so anything else that you want to talk about uh no i think so this set mostly whiffs for me constructed wise Mm -hmm. but i do think it's a pretty cool set i'm interested to see how limited goes i always like limited these tricolor sets way more than constructed yeah i think like the constructed applicability is a necessary sacrifice for like the cool things that you get to do in the limited formats with these and i hope that it can live up to that sort of thing because i do want to cast like corpse appraiser or mm-hmm. a crew captain and a bunch of random tricolor cards in limited that's absolutely pretty fun uh constructed eh, you know we'll, we'll see yeah i mean i i feel like we did identify a bunch of cards that if nothing else are at the it would be cool if i get to cast this in constructed level so i i do think <laughs> i'm interested in trying to build a rally devilish valet style deck i think that's a a pretty neat one yeah it sounds 
sounds powerful, honestly. So pretty contingent on graveyard hate that people play, but in Pioneer sure. specifically, there's not a lot of that. Well, and I I mean the there, there's like graveyard trespasser and stuff that like picks graveyards here and there, but there's no like no one's throwing a bunch of soul guide lanterns in their in their sideboard. You know? Sure. And I I mean I just I I wonder what I mean there's some number of soul guide lanterns right for Phoenix and stuff like that has to exist in some amount, but I do I'd have to double check, but I haven't. And also, I just like only play Lotus Field, so sure. like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so maybe I'm getting a biased view, but I actually don't think I've seen that many Soul Guide Lanterns at all. Yeah. And there may be a way to build this rally deck such that you can sideboard to be less soft to graveyard hate. You know, you can cast creatures and kill them with them. So uh, maybe it's tough. It's, it's tough. The color requirements make that a little trickier. Right. But I mean, like, we're not casting Seder Wayfinder. So there's like a. It's a different set of creatures that we're doing, so I don't know exactly how it is getting built, but... I'm checking Graveyard Hate and Pioneer now because I'm just so curious. <laughs> I'm just going to scroll through, like, four deck lists. <laughs> Not a single one has a... Ah, well, there you go. Soul Guide Lantern. Invasive Surgery is the closest I found, actually. <laughs> Hard to... Oh, yeah, wait, no, that doesn't hit Ralph. Counter target sorceries, sorceries. Yeah. Delirium. <laughs> At Rally the Ancestors is an instant. It's an instant. Rarely cast at instant speed, but sometimes. I have casted a lot at instant speed, actually, because uh, I played the zombies deck for a while. Oh, that's true. And you just. And you could respond and then, like, use the Dentuku Husk and whatever to, yeah. like, do stuff. It was really neat. Most of the time, yeah, you're just like, all right, sorcery speed, kill you. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you are built around a haste creature Attacking. that attacks and kills them, yeah. All right, go to beginning of combat, <laughs> cast my instant. <laughs> it is weird to have a rally combo that, like, one removal spell knocks you out from killing yeah, them. That's not, that's pretty rough. So, I don't know how you build around that or what you do, but. So, we have, isn't there like a three drop that puts shield counters on something in the set, or is that a four drop? Well, but they'd be able to, like, respond to that ability, oh, man, right? That is cheating. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's that's why it's a deck building challenge, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very telegraphed. Like you start loading up your graveyard with devilish valet, and <laughs> yeah. you have white man on your deck for some reason. Well, you just need some like alternative thing so that like if they keep holding up their removal spell, like you eventually get there in a way that kills them around a removal spell. Fling. Yeah, works for me. Yeah. It's not bad. No, it, it's totally fine. You do have to have seven mana for that at minimum if you're playing actual fling, though. Right, but the game has slowed down because they're holding up a removal spell and you're, like, casting Stitcher suppliers and... And creatures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. okay. <sighs> yeah, that's my project. <laughs> or someone more skilled and with more time to play Pioneer than me who I can net deck. Yes. Net taking is good. Of course. I've never <laughs> argued otherwise. <laughs> I was just making sure everyone knew. Okay, yeah. I mean, they're listening to a podcast about Magic the Gathering. They can't be too upset about getting, you know, Magic the Gathering information from the internet. That's fair, yeah. All right, well, I, you know, this is kind of a weird one because we are now in a world where the pre-release is a pre-release again. It's going to be a little while before we get to play with these cards too much. 
Yeah, what it comes out on Arena next week? I guess? Yeah, it's like a week from this recording or so. Wait, is the pre-release this Friday? Yeah. Oh, so we're cubing on the pre-release day. That's like my favorite day to cube. Yes, because <laughs> there's nothing going not, on. Yeah, I don't have to. I don't like going to pre-releases. So yeah. if I could just have an opportunity to scoop everyone to cube, that's ideal for me. Yeah, and I mean, during when, back when coverage existed, it was good too because, you know, there could not be an SCG that weekend, so there was never anything on to watch, so might as well cube. The, the pre-release... Friday is a traditional cube day. It is. And we're going to do that. Yay. Yay. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, ooh, where you can get... Hold on. I need to get you your surprise. Ooh. Oh, that's right. I was promised a surprise at the beginning of this uh, recording and I forgot about it completely because my day was so busy. <laughs> Where as a patron, you can get CCR and Collins Mullen and Lee McLeod construct tokens. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> it, it's tough. I'm not sure that this one quite resembles you as much as the other constructs resemble me and Collins uh, because I'm a much more bland white guy, though. Right, like I had the beard and Collins had the hat and we had those like very specific tells. And this one is, you know, blonde hair and glasses. But this is pretty good, right? I mean, I'll, I'll take it. It's very, it's, it's very cute. So it has my name on it, which is honestly great. Yes. And, you know, we've gotten paid off in spades by choosing constructs as our first token, and then they continue printing busted magic cards that make constructs. So these God be... bless you, Karn Cyanaverza, all the way in 2018. <laughs> yeah, they, these were for Karn. It's <laughs> like the made... MBL. <laughs> Just got very lucky that one time. Yep. So... Urza showed up and we were like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then Urza Saga got printed and we were like, oh great, we never need to make other tokens again ever. These will stick around forever. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, so sign up for Patreon, get yourself some of these. To current Patreon subscribers, I will be sending out Lee constructs so you will have yours. But yeah, thanks everybody so much for listening and have a great week. Bye. Bye.